Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. We're going to continue in worship, but we kind of wanted to set things up just a little bit different this morning as we prepare to jump into God's Word. As Pastor Scott has launched us into this series, Letters to RDU, as we work through the book of 1 Corinthians. He's laid an incredible foundation simply telling us what, what Paul is teaching and what he's doing, and, and that foundation is the person of Jesus Christ. He says it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's all about Jesus, amen? He's our solid rock, he's our sure foundation. I love the phrase that we just sang, he is our righteousness. It's an Old Testament name attributed to God. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. It literally means God, our righteousness, that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin, and the Lord knows I have sinned, but he doesn't see my sin. He sees his righteousness that covers me. He sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 too, as we kind of got this series going, Pastor Scott shared these words. He said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and Paul has laid out a standard of righteousness, a standard of holiness, and that is the person of Jesus. So as Paul writes this letter to Corinth and as he writes this letter to us, he reminds us Jesus is the standard Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos, not anyone else. Jesus and the message of the cross. So this morning as we dive into God's Word, I thought it'd be fun to take us back to our school days. How many of you remember walking into class and the first thing out of the teacher's mouth was, okay, class, get out a blank sheet of paper or a three-by-five card. Anybody remember that? What was coming? A pop quiz, right? And, and you're thinking, oh man, I knew I should have read. I knew I should have done anything other than just show up. But this morning as we dive into 1 Corinthians 3, there's four questions that I'm going to give you. It's your pop quiz, and no one can answer those for you. They're going to be questions directly to you to answer, and you can fill out information on your phone or your tablet or old-fashioned, old-school with a pen and paper and the margin of your Bible or on your bulletin or something, but um, I want to give us a pop quiz, and right in the midst of worship, I love this team, guys, thanks for leading us to the throne of grace, and we're going to go back to sing in just a moment, but I wanted to deliver our first question to us as we dive in this morning, and the question is simply this, what is my position with Christ? What is my position with Christ? See, no one can answer that for you. Your best friend, the one sitting next to you, your spouse. Nobody can answer that question. That's between you and God. Well, what is my position in Christ? Because Paul, as he is writing this letter, he's writing it to the church. He's writing it to those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 2 simply says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the church of God that is in RDU. To the, to the church, to those that are following Christ. He says, to those sanctified 
in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified just means set apart for God's exclusive use. To the saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. So my question is, what is my position with Christ? You could ask yourself, am I truly a follower of Jesus? Let me ask you this. Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? See, Paul's introduces to this man without the Spirit. In chapter 2, verse 14, look what it says. It says, the natural person in the English Standard Version, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You have to have the Spirit to discern. You have to have the Spirit of God living in you to answer the next three questions that I'm going to give you. I love the New International Version. simply says this, the person without the Spirit can't discern the things of God because they have to be spiritually discerned. This morning, do you know that you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? John chapter 14, this is the very same spirit that Jesus promises. He's getting ready to depart. He's telling his guys, guys, I got to go. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another one, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will come alongside you. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And again, back to Paul as he writes to the church in, in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 1. I love this passage. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, circle that, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You see, when we come to the place of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing everything else that's still to come. Somebody say amen. That's far more exciting news than what it sounds like in this room. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing everything else that's to come. Somebody say amen. That is great news. That's incredible news. But see, before we can evaluate these other things that Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 3, I think it's incredibly important for us to evaluate this one first question. What is my position with God? Do you have the Spirit? See, it's important to know because to come to that place of believing, to surrender, to place your trust in Christ, to experience His forgiveness. You say, well, Pastor Dave, why do, why do I need forgiveness? I'm really pretty good. Well, you need forgiveness because we all need forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Who sinned? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we've fallen short of God's standard, which is Jesus and the message of the cross. None of us can earn it. None of us can be good enough. So Romans 6.23 tells us, hey, Dave, what do you earn because of your sin? It says the wages of sin, what I earn because of my sin is death. The word death just means separation. There's this separation between a holy God and me as a sinner before God. But you know what? God loved me enough. It says Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for me. Even while I was still a sinner and separated from him, he died for me. He made a way for me to have a relationship with him. That's great news. Do you have the spirit? Have you come to that place that you know for certain you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? 
Paul used the word believe here in verse 5. He used it in Ephesians chapter 1. It is the exact same word that Jesus himself used in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son that whoever believes, there's that word again, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That is wonderful news. That is great news. So the question, well, how do I receive that gift? See, it's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. It's just a gift. It'd be like me going down to to Walmart and buying you the best cheap toy I could find in the toy aisle and blowing all my money on it, my nickels and dimes, and I bring it to the table. And and, and I I simply say, hey, this gift is for you. I was just talking to Bob, and it'd be like me saying, Bob, this, this gift is for you. I bought it. I paid for it with my own money. So it rightfully belongs to me, but I'm offering it to you as a gift. That gift is not yours until you what? Until you receive it. See, that gift has to be received. Jesus can offer, God can offer that through the blood of Jesus Christ and promise you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he can offer, and he can offer, and he can offer. And I tell you this morning, he's offering it to you because he loves you. He loves you like crazy. That gift is only yours when you reach out by faith and you accept it and say, God, by faith, I acknowledge my sin. And the best way I know how, I surrender. I give my life to you. See, that word believe that we've we've heard three times in three different passages is not simply an intellectual belief. It's not simply an intellectual understanding. It's not enough just to believe that the chair you're sitting in is a great chair. You fully trusted and surrendered and believed in that chair when you came in and sat in it, and you gave yourself over to it. That's the full picture of the idea of to believe, to to have your intellectual, your emotional, and a surrender of your will to say, God, I am a sinner in the best way I know how I give you control of my life. God, please come into my life. Forgive me and make me the person that you created me to be. So this morning, we want to give you that opportunity before we continue in worship. So throughout this entire room, would you do me a favor? Just bow your heads in an attitude of prayer. Now, I learned a long time ago, the key to prayer is not in the position of the body. It's the attitude of your heart before God. We bow our heads, we close our eyes, just just to close out any distractions because this question is between you and God. God, what is my position with you? Do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? I want you to answer that question quietly right now in this moment. You may be sitting there saying, Pastor Dave, no, I've never come to that place. I want to invite you this morning. You might be sitting there saying, you know, I I think I have. I thought I did. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes and he says, for the Spirit of God confirms with our spirit. He testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, when the Spirit of God comes into a life, he's affirming. He is the confirming Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor Dave, you know, how, how do you know you got saved? I was there. (laughs) I live every day with the presence of the Holy Spirit who continues to convict me of sin. It's not a perfect life. It's just a forgiven life. So in the quietness of this moment, have you come to the place that you know for certain that you've given your heart and life to Christ? If not, or if you're unsure and you just need to settle things this morning, 
we as a Southbridge family want to invite you to come to know the God that loves you, the God that cares for you. Right there where you are, you can simply pray a simple prayer, similar to the prayer that I prayed once upon a time, but again, it's not about the words, it's not about the position of the body, it's the attitude of your heart. If you're broken before God and and you simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you want to forgive me. And so, Lord, the best way I know how, in the stillness of this moment, God, would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my life? Give me the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with the presence of your Spirit. Give me hope. Give me joy. Give me peace. Make me the person that you want me to be. All through this room, the Spirit is speaking to hearts, maybe yours very personally this morning. We want to encourage you, folks, we're here as a church family to encourage one another, to help each other grow in our relationship with Christ. And maybe this morning for the very first time, you just prayed a a similar prayer, just an expression of your heart. I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold this morning, and that's simply to step out from where you are and tell somebody. In just a moment, we're going to stand and and we're going to sing. We're going to uh, just invite the Holy Spirit to fill this place and to fill our lives. And during that time, I want to invite you to to just step out and talk to somebody. We're going to have some of our elders and some of our small group leaders and our prayer people just at the side of the room and to the back of the room. And so just during this song, I just want to invite you to step out and and just simply take, take them by the hand and say, hey, I just invited Jesus into my life. And what they're going to do at that moment is simply rejoice with you because that's what we're all going to do. That's what, that's what heaven is doing right now, is just rejoicing with people who are giving their life to Christ. But you might be sitting here, you may still have some questions. You may say, man, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I know how to do it. I'm not sure I did it right. I want to encourage you as well just to step out during this song and just, just go talk to somebody. Just take a couple of moments. We're not going to put you on the spot. We're not going to parade you across the stage. We simply want to rejoice with you, and we want to help you grow in this brand-new relationship that you have with God who loves you and cares for you. Father, in this moment, would you speak to hearts? Lord, your word says no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them and enables them. So right now, Father, in this moment, would you speak to hearts in a way that only you can? Lord, for that person that is just sort of rejecting and, and, and just sort of turning away, Lord, you're speaking to their heart. You love them. You care for them. You desire a relationship with them. Lord, for that person that's sitting here and they're tired of the same old life, they're tired of the religious routine and, and they're ready to just give up and trust you, Father, would you give them boldness and courage this moment to place their trust in you? Lord, for many in this room, I pray that you give them boldness to step out and and step into accountability with the body of Christ. Let us love them. Let us be the love and the grace of Jesus to them to help them grow. Folks, if God is speaking to your heart, I encourage you just to move during this time. This is the invitation. This is God offering you that gift. Are you willing to reach out? Are you willing to accept? Father, stir our hearts. We invite your spirit into our lives to change us, to form us, to make us the people you created us to be. God, we honor you and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, church family, just for that moment. If God continues to deal with your heart, folks, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we exist. 
to help each other move closer to Jesus Christ. So take out your now not a complete blank piece of paper because you should have answered one question, right? What is your position? What is my position with Christ? So here's your second question as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, again, is writing to the church. So now I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to allow the Spirit to speak to you as someone who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've had that opportunity. You've been offered that gift. And so I will assume now that you are a follower of Christ. So the next question that I want you to answer on your 3 by 5 card or your tablet or a piece of paper or your bulletin is simply this. Where am I in my progression of growth. Where am I in my progression of growth? Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He says, I can't write to you as spiritual or mature. I have to write to you as infants, mere infants in Christ. See, the question becomes, where am I in my progression of growth? If I've come to know Christ, am I growing in Christ? I've discovered through the years that it is fully and completely possible to grow old in Christ and never grow up in Christ. Are you with me? You can grow old in Jesus. You can place your trust in Jesus. I remember the, the moment that I gave my heart and life to Jesus at a small church up in northern Illinois, and I went down in the boiler room, and it was not the first time my dad had taken me to that boiler room, if you get my uh, understanding. I've been to that boiler room before, and, but I remember that night that, that I inquired with my dad about knowing Jesus personally, and of all the places my dad could have taken me, he took me to the boiler room of that church, and part of me started thinking, man, if Jesus is in there, I'm not sure I want to go. You know, I, he'd always bring me back to service, but I was hesitant to sit down, right? But you know what? That boiler room took on a whole different meaning for me that night. Because I remember getting on my knees and inviting Jesus to take control of my life. And my life changed at that moment. And based on the truth of God's word, it was at that moment that he deposited the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, I'd love to tell you that, man, I grew like, like weeds spiritually, but that was not the case. I was around church. I memorized verses. I memorized the books of the Bible. I knew a lot of Christian stuff, but I was not maturing in my faith. And it wasn't until I really hit stride in my mid-20s that God really began to do a work in my life and said, Dave, you've known me long enough, and you're growing older with me, but you're not growing up in me. It was at that point he dropped two men in my life, one older than me physically, one younger than me physically, but both of them spiritually younger than me, but more mature spiritually. And God used Paul and he used Kenny in my life in incredible ways to help me grow in Christ. See, Paul has introduced us to this natural man, this person without the spirit, and he's referred to the spiritual man here as well, but there's this guy in between, this carnal man, this immature one. And so you and I have to always ask ourselves as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk in a relationship with God, 
How am I doing? How is my progression of spiritual growth? What is my next step? I love to to just ask the question, what's your next step? What's your next step in your spiritual growth process? How do we evaluate that? Am I mature or am I immature? You see, there's a, a growth process that we all go through. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. In other words, separated from God. We're, we're dead. And when we come to know Christ, we have this brand new life. We are born again. And I always thought growing up that was just sort of a Bible-thumping preacher term until I realized it was Jesus. <laughs> John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, man, what, what do I have to do to see the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to have a relationship with, with Christ? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, like all of us, would go, whoa, really? Do I have to enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? Ladies are like, nope, <laughs> not going there. No, no, he says, you, you're, you're dead spiritually, and to be alive spiritually, you have to be born again. To be born again. So when someone comes to the place that they trust Christ, no matter their age... They are mere infants as you hear the crying, right? That brings back a lot of memories for some of us, doesn't it? Those days were exhausting to me as a young parent. And I I remember November 19th, 1990 at 4.50 in the afternoon after 12 hours of labor with my, my precious wife, Leslie, I remember holding my precious baby girl, Amanda May, born on the 19th at 4.50 in the afternoon at seven pounds, 14 ounces, 21 inches long. Of course I remember that because I was there and and I experienced the birth. And I I remember Dr. Darrow delivering her and, you know, they were concerned because her heartbeat is dropping every time we push, we we push, every time, (laughs) hey, look, we're in this together, right? Every time my wife would push, the heartbeat would drop. And so as Dr. Darrow delivers, oh, here's the umbilical cord around the neck, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And so here's this precious girl, and as I'm holding this precious little thing, you've been there, haven't you? You're holding this precious newborn, and you go, what am I going to do now? What in the world do we do with this thing? Let me ask you a question. What does a newborn need from you? What does a newborn need from me? Anybody? Everything. 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 See, when when someone comes to know Christ personally, it doesn't matter their age, whether they're a child, a teen, an adult, an older adult, when they come to know Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are born again. They are infants in Jesus. And what they need from us as more mature followers is everything. We're going to feed them. We're going to care for them. We're going to bathe them. We're going to clean up after their mess, and Lord knows they make a mess. We're going to change their diaper. We're going to do everything that's necessary. We're going to hold them. We're going to care for them. We're going to love them. We're going to put them down for a nap, and we're going to help them grow into spiritual maturity. Where are you at in your spiritual growth? Are you still an infant? Are you here this morning because you need to be fed? You need to be cared for? You need someone to hold you? to burp you, to clean you, to clean up the the mess of sin. Listen, we all need that. There's moments for all of us to be cared for and to nurtured by someone who's more mature. 
But where are you in your spiritual progression of growth? See, it's a process. We're, we're born as infants, but we're not expected to stay there. There's this expectation to grow up in Christ. So Paul says, I can't address you as spiritual, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's saying it's time to grow up. Are you growing in Christ? How do you know? How do you know what spiritual maturity is going to look like? See, if Jesus is the standard and God's righteousness is the standard, and the closer we draw to Christ, the more we begin to look like Christ, then our lives take on the characteristics of Christ. We begin to love the things that Jesus loves. What does Jesus love? He loves his church, and he loves people, even sinful people, even people who don't look like you or look like me. And sometimes we want to raise people up who look just like we do. Man, if only people were more like me. What a miserable life that would be, by the way. I'm starting to discover the things that irritate me and other people are the things that I do. Anybody else, you at that stage of life? It's like, oh, that's really irritating. But you know what? That's what I do. How are we nurturing those around us? How are we loving his church? How do you interact with others in the body? Paul is speaking to the disunity, to the, to the division that's going on. How are you contributing to the unity of the body? How are you contributing to the life of the body? How are you supplying for the needs of the body? How are you elevating someone else perhaps over Jesus? Because that will speak to immaturity. Are you more important than the gospel? Are you more important than Jesus? Is Pastor Scott or Pastor Danny or Pastor John or anyone else more important? That's a sign of immaturity. That's exactly what Paul is speaking to. When anything else becomes the object of our affection besides Jesus, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. So what's your next step? How do you grow in your relationship with Christ? Are you growing? Are you learning to feed yourself? Sermons are great, podcasts are great, but are you learning to feed yourself? See, I have three kids, and they're all wonderful little sinners. As, as I raised them, and man, they were good at it. And, and, you know, as kids and as infants, we would feed them, and we'd care for them, and then they'd slowly begin to grow, and, and uh, you know, they would begin to raid my food, and they would take stuff. I'd buy something, and I'd try to hide it, and they found all my hiding spots. So that's what kids do, right? They, they're consuming your goods. They're, they're constantly taking from you. Isn't that what they do? That's what children do. You know, you ate my lucky charms, you know? Well, you know what? Now they're all grown, and they're gone. And so I went to the grocery store yesterday, and I bought me a box of cereal. And that cereal's going to stay there until I eat it all. And the dog and I got through a good part of it last night. That was my dinner. But you know what? It's mine. And praise God, my kids have, have kind of moved on. You know what? You can go buy your own cereal. You, you can be fed. But, but when we got together at Christmas time, I was happy to buy them a meal. Why? Because they're my kids, and, and I should be, most of the time, more mature than they are. And my wife might think that questionable at times, but, you know... And my kids probably think that questionable. But as the mature one, I want to love them. I want to nurture them. But you know what? As they're growing in a relationship with Christ, guess what's happening? We, we've moved from a parent-peer relation spiritually to peers spiritually. 
And it's a fun process uh, to, to have your kids contact you. And now we talk about spiritual things. We're talking about spiritual disciplines. And I'm talking to them as a spiritual peer. Why? Because they're, they're growing in Christ. Praise God for that. To have your kids say, hey, can, can I just pray for you? Well, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you in your walk with Christ? Wow. See, we have to grow to spiritual maturity in Christ. We see it physically. We have to see it spiritually. And many of the same indicators of the physical life are true in spiritual life. Children, infants are selfish, aren't they? Boy, they're, they're, their nature is not giving. Oh, hey, Dad, please. Whatever you want. Dad, you know, as a child, Dad, whatever you want. Well, we're going to minister to your needs, Dad. I have no needs, Dad. Going through the grocery store, Dad, whatever you want, Dad. Dad, I don't want toys. No, I have no need for toys, Dad. It's all about you. No. And see, spiritually, it's the exact same scenario. When we come to church and we're worried about meeting our needs, oh, man, if only Seth would, would sing the songs that I like. Ooh, giggles, but, but truth, right? Well, that kind of hurts. Man, I wish Pastor Scott were more encouraging from the pulpit instead of all this truth and all this conviction of the Holy Spirit thing. Man, I wish he'd tell more jokes. Wish he'd be more of a Duke fan or more of a North Carolina fan. That would make my life spiritually easy. Man, I wish we'd go back to real donuts instead of donut holes. <laughs> so true, though, isn't it? So in that moment, what do we do? We go, wow, is it really about me? Or is it about God and others? You see, when we move from infancy and childhood stage to spiritual young adult and into spiritual maturity, we go, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about others. How are we ministering to the needs of other people? Where am I in my progression of growth? See, are you connected to the body in service and in care and in protection? Pastor Scott reminds us all the time that, that the, as we grow to spiritual maturity, we move from being a consumer to a contributor. That's a great picture, isn't it? We move from consuming love and care and nurture to contributing love and care and nurture. Question number three. Are you ready? Got your number two lead pencil? Are you ready? Let me hear it. Are you ready? Okay. Where do I find my pleasure? Where do I find my pleasure? Pick it up in verse five. Paul writes, and here's what he says. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. There's that word again. As the Lord assigned to each, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God. I love that. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. The, the idea there is they're one in purpose. They're one in purpose. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's, we are God's fellow workers. Speaking of Paul and Apollos, we are God's fellow workers. Then addressing the church, he says, you are God's field, God's building. What a great, great 
picture. Paul understands the pleasure of his purpose is in honoring Jesus Christ with every aspect of his life. He says, I am simply a servant to God. I belong to God. Verse 9, when he says we are God's fellow workers, that's a possessive term. It means we belong to God. Do you belong to God? As a follower of Jesus Christ, we belong to Christ. We are servants of Christ. We are one in purpose. Therefore, we are one in pleasure. We find pleasure, listen to me, we find pleasure in the things that we value. As mature followers, we love the church, and we find pleasure in serving one another. I love Southbridge, don't you? I love this place. I love watching people serve. I love people with the joy on their life, just, just serving others and caring for others. And I could, I could sit here and name dozens of people that I see every week and throughout the week just loving and serving the body of Christ. And I love that because they're finding pleasure in their purpose. We find pleasure when we lead others that uh, would come to know Him. We find pleasure as we grow in depth of relationship with the body of Christ. And as we lead those that are less mature to more spiritually mature in Christ, we find pleasure in that. Paul says we're fellow workers with God, possessive, belonging to God. And then as he speaks of the church, as he speaks of the people there in Corinth, just as he speaks to the people here in RDU, in Southbridge specifically this morning, he says, you are God's field, God's building. What is a field? See, he takes us from an agricultural illustration to an architectural illustration. A field has to be cultivated. It has to be tilled. It's got to be weeded. It's got to be planted. It's got to be watered. It's got to be harvested, and it has to be reproduced. So the church, RDU, this area has to be cultivated. By who? By God's fellow workers, by His servants. We have to cultivate. We have to till. We have to plant. We have to water. We have to harvest. We have to reproduce. But then he talks about a building. What is a building? A building has a specific design, and it's built for a specific purpose. Can you, can you think of a building you've been in? You go, wow, this is an incredible building. And what an incredible purpose. For me, that building is Wrigley Field in downtown Chicago. Wow, man, I'm telling you, seriously, if you've not been there, you just got to put it on your bucket list. Next to coming to know Jesus, just a day at Wrigley is one of the greatest experiences of my life. It really is. It's just, it's just a neat place. It's, it's just, you know, but, but hey, I, I've moved to Raleigh. I've become a Canes fan. I love going to PNC and Arena and, and, you know, doing the you know, clap thing. I love when we win because we get to do this thunder clap thing and then the guys do something silly and they become known on the ESPN as a bunch of jerks. You know, you can get the shirt now. But, you know, a building has a purpose, and, and a, just like a field finds its pleasure producing what it's supposed to produce, a building finds its pleasure in being used to the capacity for which it was built and created. The only one that brings the harvest out of any of that, though, is God, that we serve with one purpose. So what is the purpose of our life? What's the purpose of your life? If I were to ask you, hey, What's, what's your purpose? Why do you exist? 
Could you tell me? See, our purpose is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ in every single thing that we do. Sitting in the DMV, you're going to honor and glorify Jesus. Going to work, you're going to honor and glorify Jesus. Sitting in the doctor's office waiting for good news or bad news, you're there to honor and glorify Jesus. God may be placing you somewhere you never imagined you wanted to go, and you pray that God releases you from that, but you need to understand that God placed you there to bring honor and glory to him. Because he may take you and I to a place we never wanted to go because we are the only ones that could be planted there to display the love and the honor and glory of Jesus Christ to someone who needs us in that dark place. Man, we pray to be rescued from things that I firmly believe Jesus intended to take us so that we could display his glory. And as mature people, that's what we do, right? How many of you remember the, the movie from 1981 called Chariots of Fire? Anybody? Great movie. It's really a great movie for anybody that's like born, you know, after 1990. You may not know this movie. That's okay. Go watch it. It's a movie about a guy named Eric Little, and Eric was from Scotland. His family was from Scotland, but his parents were missionaries to China, and that's where Eric was actually born. And they discovered that Eric had this great ability to run. And so his life is sort of portrayed in this movie, Chariots of Fire. And some of you remember the song, right? And you remember, you know, and you'll... You'll remember the, him running. It's, it's really a great story. In the movie, Eric's character says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, that's a great quote, isn't it? But Eric Little in real life never said that. It was misrepresented. It was actually written by the guy that did the screenplay. His name was Colin Welland, and as part of the script, he penned that line. It was a great line, and, and I believe it really expressed Eric's heart. But in researching that a little bit, it says that it was somewhat misrepresented because he never really said that. But I did find a quote actually from Eric's foundation that he shared 20 years later, after the 1924 Summer Olympics that he ran in and won gold, the one race that he was expected to just sweep was scheduled on a Sunday, and Eric, just be a firm follower of Jesus, said, I will not run on the Sabbath. And so he forfeited running the 100 meter, but he ended up running the 400 meter, and he won the gold in 1924 at the Paris Summer Olympics. 20 years later, as he was speaking to a gentleman named Frank Wright of the Aberdeen Press, and, and he was asked how he managed to keep this fantastic pace with such a curious style, this is Eric's response. He said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as hard as I can. Well, that sounds simplistic, right? But then he goes on, he says, then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run harder. Isn't that awesome? Listen, sometimes we want to escape the hard stuff when it comes to ministry. We want to escape the hard stuff when it comes to investing in others. And as we grow to maturity in Christ, our responsibility is to care for those that are less mature and to find pleasure in doing that. To, to get dirty, to get messy with people and to step into their life. 
But God, give me the strength to run even harder from start to finish. God, when I came to know you until the day you take me home, help me run harder. Help me progress in my spiritual walk so that I am running harder and harder and chasing the harder things of God to do the things that are more difficult, the tasks that no one wants to take. And God, with your strength, help me run harder. After the Olympics and after a short career, Eric actually went back to China and served as a missionary. He was arrested, he was thrown in a prison camp, and he died. At the age of 43, he'd run start to finish. He gave everything he could for the cause of Christ. No reserve, no regret, no retreat. What about you? God, I want to run hard after you. Here's your fourth question this morning. Are you ready? What am I producing? What am I producing? You see, our text picks up in verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, that's Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let me stop right there for just a moment because in the context of Paul's writing, he didn't have J.I. Case. He didn't have John Deere. He didn't have any of the big technology that would have helped him build anything. Any kind of big building, any kind of big structure, the temples and the tabernacles of the day sometimes took decades to build. I mean, could you imagine just building the things that they built without the technology that they had? And so it was not uncommon in Paul's time for a foundation to be built and laid for a building that may not show up for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And Paul said, but the foundation that I'm laying is Jesus Christ. And someone else then is building on it. Folks, we continue to build on this foundation. We are doing the work of the ministry, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. When I look at this text, here's what I discover. It is completely possible to do church without God. How many of you have ever used a compass? How many of you have a compass? How many have a car with a compass? How many have a compass app on your phone? All these things are readily available to you. And I've discovered they're somewhat helpful in the Raleigh area. Uh, I'm pretty good directionally, but i got to just be honest with you, Raleigh's been a little directionally challenging to me. Right, so I'm not alone here. It's the biggest, heartiest amen I got all morning. But see, a compass, here's the deal, a compass is the standard. We talked about the standard. Paul has laid the foundation that is the standard. It is Jesus Christ. His word is our standard. It is our compass. But listen to me. A compass can't take you in the right direction. It can only point you in the right direction. It's great to have the knowledge of the word of God. It's great to have the knowledge of God's truth. Listen, it is only the work of the Holy Spirit that can take us there. You can study God's Word, and you can study, and you can memorize, and you can do all these things, but listen, without the presence of the Holy Spirit and without the surrender to the Spirit, you're not going to follow God's direction. 
we'll do a lot of things and we'll do them in the name of God. But I found it's completely possible to do life and to do church without Christ. It is clearly implied in this text by Paul that you can serve and you can work in an attempt to try to build this kingdom of God, but it's not going to last. He says you can build with gold and silver and precious stones. Those things are durable. You can throw them in fire and they're going to they're hold their consistency. They're going to they're survive. But he says you can also build with wood, hay, and straw. You ever throw wood, hay, and straw on a fire? You go, where'd that go? It's gone. That's the picture he gives us of church and ministry. Now, folks, listen, I don't know about you. I'm tired of doing church without God. I'm tired of trying to live the Christian life and make a difference for the kingdom in my own strength and my own ability without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I gave that up. I said, God, I don't want to do that. And, and as I was reading and studying this text and talked to Pastor Scott earlier in the week, the two Old Testament passages surfaced in my mind, and I had to go back there. Let me share these with you, can I? In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1, as Isaiah is penning the words, and God speaks to him, and he says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans, get this, that are not mine. Forming alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Listen, it's completely possible to carry out plans that are not God's. But then if we back up into the book of Exodus, chapter 33, Moses has been called by God and he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness and God's delivering all the, the, the laws to him. And in Genesis chapter 33, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people um, you brought up out of Egypt. He said that you brought up out of Egypt, not that I brought up out of Egypt. That was interesting. He said, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites that are up there. I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to clear the land. I'm going to send an angel with you. But look what he says. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Look, I got to be honest. Sometimes that's me. Is it you in the flesh? Sometimes we just, God, I got this. God, I want to do life my way. God, yeah, you're in my life, but I'm not surrendering to you. I'm going to just obey my sin nature. I'm going to obey my flesh. God, I got this. And God looks at me and he goes, Dave, you are obstinate. You're stiff-necked. If you want to go ahead and do that, go ahead and do that. I've given you promises, and I am a promise keeper. I will fulfill my promises to you. And if you want to go chase that, you go ahead, but I'm not going with you, right? It's not that his spirit departs me. The spirit's never going to leave me. The, the picture that Paul paints for us of these three people, here's the person without the spirit. Here's the person with the spirit that's living in the flesh. Here's the spiritual man. Here's what I've discovered in my life. The decision that I made as a little boy to invite Jesus Christ to come into my life and to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that decision I made once forever. 
Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. His spirit doesn't depart me simply because I, I obey the flesh and I live in sin. But the decision that I make to get off the throne and get out of control of my own life, get off the throne, Jesus, please get on the throne. You take control. That decision is a decision that I will make every day of my life, probably hundreds of times, and so will you. Most of the time, my day will start with, with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given me eternal life. See, I don't have to invite him in. I know he's already there. God, thank you that you've given me eternal life. But Lord, I also know that I am a sinner, and I don't have the capacity to live this life in a way that's pleasing to you and honoring. So God, please, right now, fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Take control. Live through me and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And, and, I'll, and in that moment in the morning, I'll just surrender my life to the Lord all over again. And, and that's usually good. I give him control until I encounter another human being. Anybody with me? Yeah. See, wives? Wives are doing this, right? Yeah. Man, usually we're good with Jesus on our own. Or man, once you get behind the wheel of a car, my flesh is strong behind the wheel of a car. I, mean, I took driver's ed in Chicago in the winter, okay? Snow, ice, we had some fun times. But see, it's in that moment I sin, then right, 1 John 1, 9 kicks in. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in that moment, I have to say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. So again, God, I, I surrender control. Live through me. Make me the person you want me to be. And that may be good for five minutes, ten minutes, maybe an hour. But, you know, but then you get to work and someone took your donut or they used your coffee pot or, or they took something out of the fridge that had your name clearly written all over it. Or you found out something's not going your way, you know, what, whatever it is. But every moment is a choice to say, God, you take control. And see, in the church world, it is completely possible even for us to do ministry in the flesh where God is simply saying, go ahead and do that. See, I've done enough busy work in the name of ministry through my lifetime, doing programs and activities and things that I look back on and go, but God, did we really honor you? Did, did we build mature followers of Jesus? Did we make disciple-making disciples? See, that's, that's all over our website. Our process of equipping is we want to make disciples who make disciples. In other words, people who move to spiritual maturity who in turn make people who move to spiritual maturity who go back and make other people who move to spiritual maturity. Disciple making disciples. It's not enough to simply try to build and do the things that are going to be destroyed. I'm tired of that life. Well, Pastor Dave, there, there's this great new Bible study. Yeah, I know. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Let's get our Bibles. Let's dive in. Let's nurture one another and grow to spiritual maturity in Christ. Yeah, yeah, but there's this great new program on evangelism or this great new book on church growth or there's this great new book on how to help people give or how to close the back door of the church and, you know, how to, how to get more people to come to church. I think there's enough lost people at church who've become comfortable in their lostness 
that it's weakened the effectiveness of the church in a lost and dying culture. I want us to move to spiritual maturity, leave this place, and engage lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our workplace, in the coffee shop, in our homes through small group, nurture one another, care for one another, move each other's spiritual maturity in Christ, release one another to go have babies. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. Go have spiritual babies, birthing others, leading them to Christ, growing them, cutting them loose. I'm, I'm a dad. I am not yet a granddad. But I understand that grandparenthood is one of the most awesome things on the face of the earth. Can I get an amen? I, I don't have a grandbaby. I have grand dogs. I have grand cats. I have grand chickens. Um, but I do not yet have a grandbaby. But I hear it's pretty cool right? Because you get this grandchild, and I know Sid probably does this a lot, you know, you get, you get your grandkids and you hype them up on chocolate and Gatorade and Mountain Dew, and then you send them back to the parents and go, there, remember that time when you were 13 and you talked back here, here you go. It's payback time. We get so excited, right? Because we're, we're birthing a new generation. I was excited when all three of my kids moved out of my house to go be adults, go adult, go do your own adulting. Adulting's hard. You know what's really exciting? When we cut people loose spiritually and they begin to have spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren because we begin to fulfill the principle in 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul tells Timothy, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust also to reliable men who will in turn be able to teach others. Get it? Four generations. A spiritual parent to a child, to a grandchild, to a great-grandchild. How many of you have four generations deep spiritually that you've invested? Folks, that's the stuff that lasts. We could probably go through the room and, oh, yeah, I remember so-and-so. He used to be real excited about God. Where is he now? Eh, we have no idea. Children, infants need our nurture. They need our care. They need to grow. But we need to understand that what we are producing is solid. See, listen to me. I don't want to move forward if God's not in it. I don't want to go someplace if God's not going to go with me. I don't want to invest my time, the limited time that I have on this earth, investing in something that is not producing disciple-making disciples. And listen, we can do a lot of stuff. And I know churches that are busy busy, busy, out blowing out the doors with busy activities that are not making disciples who make disciples. And I have to believe that somewhere down the line, it's all going to burn, right? Because he talks about our rewards and he talks about proving through time and through the fire that these things indeed last. And we're really quick to just grab this out of context and go, yeah, yeah, but you know, we're, we're planting seeds, yeah, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're watering, we're doing lots of stuff, and, and we want to spiritually justify our activities. And God said, look, just like he did with the Israelites, I'll be faithful to my promise. I will give you eternal life. I will send an angel to go with you, and I'll clear the land, but I'm not going to go with you. God, I don't want to go if you're not going. God, I don't want to make a plan if it's not your plan. That's exhausting. And there's no reward. We started with this question, do you have the Spirit? 
As we close, I want to pose this simple question. Does the Spirit have you? You see, the Spirit-filled life is all about the Spirit having you. Where you're living in submission and surrender and and say, yeah, the Holy Spirit's in my life. God, I'm going to get off the throne. I'm not in control. I'm going to surrender control to you. Just like I surrendered my life to you for salvation, God, I'm surrendering my life to you to control, to live through me. God, to bring honor and glory to yourself through every circumstance of my life. God, to lead me so that I know when we're going there that you're going with me. God, as I follow the standard of your compass, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me in the direction that you want to go because you're going to go with me. Do you have the Spirit? And does the Spirit have you? Let's pray in this place. Just bow your heads in an attitude of prayer and the praise team's going to come. We're just going to close with a time of worship, just again refocusing. This is a time for us to commit anew and afresh. God, yes, I have the Spirit. God, I want the Spirit to have me. God, would you live through me? Would you shine through me? During this time, God may just lay it on your heart. Maybe you need to pray with someone or maybe you need prayer. Just seek someone out. Maybe during this time, as as God speaks to your heart, he may simply lay people on your heart that, that need you as a mature follower of Jesus to, to either share the love of Christ or, or perhaps to, to nurture someone. Maybe God is dealing with your heart this morning, and, and yes, you're here, but you're not connected. You're not growing, and you need to connect with other believers. You need to get committed to a small group and commit to be there, to commit to invest in the lives of others and let them invest in you so that you can answer that question, how are you doing in your spiritual progression of growth? What's your next step? Is your next step learning to share your faith boldly, confidently? Is your next step to to step into a small group and begin to really grow with other believers? Maybe your next step this morning is to give your life to Christ. Maybe it's to deepen your prayer life. Maybe your next step is to learn to, to begin to feed yourself. As a child, you'll, you'll learn to feed yourself, and you need to learn some Bible study techniques, some method, so that you can begin to snack on God's Word on your own. Maybe your next step is learning to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit to, to lead you, to say, God, as I grow in your Word, which is my compass, God, I want your Spirit to lead me there. I need to listen to your voice. Father, throughout this room, we are your people, and we want to live in surrender to you. Lord, lead us, guide us. We don't want to go any place without you. We don't want to make a plan that's not your plan. So, Father, would you lead us? Would you instruct us? Let us grow to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.